to just find something like a good generic tweet that works, which is not easy to do. But when you do it, you just jot it down and then you hit it up. And that's if you're asking, like, how did I tweet? That's pretty much how I did it. I just had a sticky note and I was like, talk about one of these three things and talk about it in one of these three ways. Welcome to a new episode of High Fury Presents. In season two, I interview new guests with the same vibe and the same goal to make you a better creator. Today, I talk to Chase Curtis. Chase has been on a pod before. He laid low on Twitter for a while, but now he's back in action in a hot new domain, AI. In this episode, you'll learn how you can get good at a totally new subject and go viral every other day. My name is Anik, co-founder of High Fury, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Hey, Chase, you've been on the pod before, but just for people who don't know you, maybe you can do like a short intro so people know. Oh, man, I should have prepped for this. Well, you said my name. It is Chase. I am a very good marketer to some people and an imbecile to many, many more. (laughs) I've been doing online stuff for a while, took a break from Twitter to do IRL stuff. And then I was like, well, this was fun. Time to go back to winning online again. So came back and cool yeah and i noticed you that's why i asked you back on the pod because i knew you you left for like a couple of months i think i would say more than six months i don't remember exactly but yeah it was a long time it was two years overall but i would completely change my profile and my name and then just make like five tweets and then delete it my tweets and change my profile again so that way nobody really ever knew it was me what changed? Yeah, because you, I think you still do your YouTube channels. You have quite a few, I think, uh, or no? No, I don't do any of my YouTube channels anymore. They just didn't really pay off the way I thought they were going to. They were really, like, I learned a lot. And, like, what I learned pays off. But the channels themselves, I'm just like, oh, man. Then I've got to, you know, set up those things and look into the camera. Not that fun. But took the two-year break from Twitter mostly just to, like, start my adult life, find a wife, have kids, you know. And all that in two years. Yeah, essentially, because I was always on my Twitter account because Twitter was like one of my primary income sources. And I was like, okay, well, I'm making a good amount of money to where I can blow at least a year of my time pursuing something else. So then I did that for two years and was like, dude, this, it was good in its own way, but it wasn't as lucrative as I guess YouTubers would make it seem. You did the YouTube with like the first person shooter. I can't remember the name, but you were like quite, you know, quite into that. Oh yeah. I mean, I grew that YouTube channel to 25,000 subs. Well, one of them I grew to 5,000. The other one I grew to 25,000 and they were fun. But at the same time, it was just like, it sucked because I would have to play a game for let's say three hours to get five minutes worth of footage when it's like when you're dealing with personal brand stuff i could just turn around if i wanted to talk into one of those and be done in 10 minutes edit for five minutes and it's like you really don't get compensated for the amount of time you spend gaming and then posting versus irl it's like personal branding's much easier at the end of the day so Hmm. so what kind of irl things did you do because okay you you find your wife and the kids so you were busy with those things but you also find found something else what did i do well we were living in houston so 
just getting acclimated to move because we lived in Dallas and that's where my home base was. So it was part disconnecting to do IRL stuff and part of it just like new place, new people, new city. So kind of just getting my bearings. And then once I got my bearings, I made a a good chunk of money in crypto, which basically set me up for the full two years. Uh, I got lucky on um, on Sheeb. Wasn't really luck. Like is luck is a good part of it, but I noticed Doge was catching on like six months before the internet really caught it. So I was like, "What's a good derivative?" And then I invested in that, and I should have cashed out. I invested two hundred dollars in the course of three months. That two hundred turned into about four hundred seventy-five thousand. Wow! No way! <laughs> Fuck! That's insane. And then uh, it went down quite substantially. I still over a thousand times on the on the two hundred, but um, yeah, it was it was solid. But outside of that, you know, I I didn't stop doing the stuff I do IRL. New games came out. You know, I I have a thing where I go and like Call of Duty does a partnership with Totino's. I go out and buy Totino's, yoink the code off of that, sell it on eBay. I actually got the entirety of the USA banned from buying from a Burger King in France. <laughs> so if you're in America and you try to go to the French Burger King website, you're no longer allowed anymore because I probably spent like $2,000 on French BK meals to get in to get in-game codes to then flip online. And then they, dude, Burger King actually ended up doing a lot of stuff to try to stop me, like solely me from they doing noticed. things. Yeah, they were like, okay, you can only do one, five transactions per card. Okay, you can only have one credit card per account. And I was like, all right, well, good thing I have 40 credit cards and I'm about to make 100 accounts. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then I, I always make like a, like at least 10,000 from that in like a 30 day time span. Uh, I did end up getting suspended from eBay and they held like seven grand from me for like 180 days. That was really stupid, but I didn't really need it. What happened? I, I believe one of my competitors just because when I do the code flipping, I'd go for like two and a half times my money because I, I'm not trying to rip people off, but I, at the same time, I, I want to make a good profit. A lot of my competitors are doing like 10 times. So if they buy a code for five bucks, they're selling it for 50. I'm like, uh, 15 to 20 solid. So I think just a lot of my competitors just started to mass report me just you know, for being fair priced. But yeah, that eBay account had 20,000 sales on it, spotless rating. And they were like, you can make a new account, but you're not getting that one back. And I was like, how does that make any sense? Like, but yeah, whatever. But these big companies like eBay and PayPal, they're really mafia. You know, yeah, just... man. What are they doing? Pinterest too, man. Lug that in there. But yeah, in Houston, I basically just raised the children, played disc golf, hung out with the wife, went to... You know, found a really nice bar, found my favorite beer that isn't available here in Florida. So I never drink anymore. And all these wins. Yeah, it was good. It was a good two years. You know, you spend so much time online looking at everybody else and you're like, you know what? Maybe I should go live life. And then you're like, damn, that's kind of easy. That's a good idea. And but like last month, something happened. You or you've been probably toying with it a bit longer because you've been posting photos, AI generated stock photos to, to um, Adobe. How did you come up with that? And then how did you start in the AI world? 
I had I bought a membership to Midjourney. I want to say a year ago when it first went open beta, and uh, it was really bad. Like you know, you'd enter in your prompt, and it would be like really blurry. And at that point, the NFTs hadn't completely died. So what I had done is I used Midjourney back then to create an NFT collection that didn't really go anywhere, but it you know got me familiar with the platform and. Ever since I made the good chunk of money from Sheeb, I always just played around in NFTs. I never really did anything excellent there either. Didn't lose any money, but didn't make any money. So I made collections on OpenSea and whatnot. And then some time went by, you know, V3 of Midjourney comes out and it's in a much better place. And I'm like, hmm, you know, if it gets a little bit better, I'm sure that there's an earning opportunity somehow, right? Like, what is that earning opportunity? And then V4 came out, uh, which is the predecessor to the current model. And at that point, I was like, okay, in certain ways, this is good enough. Like, obviously, with humans in their hands, it's not good enough, but it's good enough to take it to market. You know, maybe you can do fruits, vegetables, pets, whatnot. And it could. Exactly, exactly. So I just was like, all right, well, what are the rules? What do I need to do? Just took it straight to Adobe Stock. How did you figure out all the prompts and all the like uh, AR and whatever? I, I know very little of the prompts. but how did you I, I just always read the documentation, man. Like whenever websites or software tools, whatever, they go, yeah, you know, here's our new program. And then here's the documentation of the FAQ and all that boring stuff. I'm just such a, a contract reader in a way where I just dive into the documentation and tear it up. Because it's like, if I don't know something, I want to know it. And, you know, it's the only true sense of discovery these days, because it's not like you're going to sail across the sea and find a new nation. So it's like, when a new program drops, that's my exploration effort. And a lot lot of people are lazy these days, and they don't do that. They just ask ChatGPT, how does it work? But they don't really drill down themselves. Right. And ChatGPT's, you know, a year behind or two years behind. So you still don't get all the information, but yeah. And I mean, generally my success online has just come from reading the documentation and then just repackaging it. I did that for Hype Fury. You know, it was like, oh, this is a super simple platform to use. But what about those people that are really, really not smart? They're going to need a video (laughs) or they're going to need a blog post. You were one of the first who posted a video on YouTube, but... Yeah, it did great. It got like twenty, thirty thousand views, uh, which was <laughs> solid. I mean, at this point, I I jump on Hype Fury now. I'm like, oh my god, there's so many features. Now I'm the novice, and I'm like, we're gonna release a new uh, UI in a couple of weeks, so at least a beta. So we've been working on that for months now. So it's it's gonna be a big, big difference, big improvement. That's exciting. I was talking to Sammy a couple of days ago, and he was telling me about the woes of dealing with Twitter. I was just letting him vent, man, because I was like, <laughs> sounds like something I never want to be a part of. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah interesting discussions with, uh, with them, definitely. Well. Yeah, but going back to the Adobe, yeah, I just started uploading, started seeing some results pretty quick. Like I uploaded early December across a couple platforms and then Adobe, I got my first sale was 33 cents. And I was like, all that I had on there was 10 images. Let's double down. Well, let's 10 times. 100 images, 1,000 images, and then I, I... But walk us through that process because, okay, mid-journey, you read the docs, you knew some prompts. 
like how did you come up with ideas for images? What kind of prompts did you use? How did you optimize your listings on uh, on Adobe? Run us through that entire thing. Let's just cut out mid-journey. Coming up with prompts is essentially, you know, it's just using language and then throwing in a couple, like you, you find your style as you go. So in the beginning, my mid-journey was just hamburger professional, right? And then it, it, I found my own style, which is where I made thousands of images based off the same concept. And I forget the exact keywords, but essentially I was like, okay, what do I, now that mid-journey is good, how can I make money? And it was like the three things that were being pointed at the most were Etsy sales, like selling art, I guess, or canvases or stickers, Amazon KDP sales, like selling uh, print books. And I did do that. I made a couple coloring books, a couple like photo books using Midjourney, and those made like five bucks. However, the input time was very long. It'd be like, you're going to work on a coloring book for five hours and maybe get a sale and get a dollar. So... I was like, there's got to be something better than that. So stock footage can became the last and most obvious choice. And I just started cranking out random images on any subject and then, you know, just casting a, a broad net and then seeing where I got bites. And then just anytime I got a single download on a given topic, I just varied the keywords varied the core idea or the subject. And then, okay, now like one of them, for example, fish jumping out of water. Okay. Got a hit. Okay. Salmon swimming in a river, swim, salmon swimming in a lake, salmon jumping out of a river, salmon swimming downstream or whatever. And then just all different types of fish, all different types of environments, and then let it go. And I mean, like my fish images on Adobe have probably earned a hundred or $200 so far. And that's, you know, just one piece of the puzzle. And I've always been kind of one of those micro earners. I'd always rather make a little 50 to $200 passive income a week versus, oh yeah, I signed a six figure deal and now I'm going to be 80 hours a week, you know. This is truly passive. And I think like in you, you have some, you're in a community or you have your own community where somebody I thought about like creating some sort of automation. You could like ask Midjourney to keep creating new images. How did you? No, I, I made a I made a community. It was free for the longest time. And then I was like, all right, I'll make it paid just to give people more breakdowns, more ideas. Because I was kind of doing the bare minimum there. Because I was just like, all right, I'll throw together a community. And then people were like, we want to pay you. And I was like, okay, I'll do more work. Did that. People started using ChatGPT in tandem with Midjourney using Python. And yeah, somebody was just worked on a code with Python to prompt Midjourney automatically. And it worked well. Like everybody, nobody had issues except the Apple users, but they found a workaround for that too, code wise. And uh, that worked. I, I didn't use it but one time because at that point I was kind of transitioning away from the micro earnings because I make like 50 to 100 a week from the stock footage now. And I was like, okay. You know, that's enough. If that stays stable for a couple of years, whatever. Let me move a, a little bit into like bigger waters, I guess. And that's when I started to dive more into like the Twitter tutorials and just more AI news in a way. Yeah, because that's really something that took off right? because you were, I don't know how many followers you were at, five, six, seven, eight thousand. Yeah, I was at, I was at high 7K, but. I mean, after that two-year break, I would say maybe 300 of those followers were active. 
So it was like, I was screwed. Like my numbers look great, but my stats were like, oh, okay. This tweet's going to get 200 impressions. And I was like, we got to hide this impression thing. I'm not digging this, but yeah, I was like, okay, what's trending. And I was like, how can I do that better? And in my own way. And then that's when I dove into the tutorials and really exhausted those. You know, I made sure to provide as much value as possible, but not get to the point where I'm like, you know, scrounging for crumbs, like, oh, I need engagement. Look at this long post. So I was just like, we got to kind of slowly move out of this. And that's when Snack Prompt worked its way in because I was not necessarily looking for an out, but I was like, ah, this this isn't really sustainable. I've only got like maybe one more chat GPT tweet, maybe one more mid-journey tweet before I'm like, I don't have anything else to say. So mm. let's rewind a little bit. You were at like high 7,000. You tweeted a couple of things. It was crickets. Then you thought, you know, what's interesting? It was actually in your niche. You know, you were already working with mid-journey AI tools. You thought, you know, it was trending on Twitter, like ChatGPT was trending every other day. How did you create like your first tweets around that or your first threads? I first, I followed the thought leaders because that's always the go-to. You want to see what they're doing. And the thought leaders in AI are were very fresh, especially in the mid-journey niche, because that was, again, really bad. Uh, months prior. So I just saw what they were doing and they were basically, they were teaching, but they were doing it in lengthy threads and it just seemed like a bunch of filler to me. Good, you know, good filler, I guess, for like storytelling, but I'm more of like a to the point guy. So I was like, what do I know about mid journey? And I was like, well, I know everything because I read the documentation or everything as of that moment. So now it's just time to Rather than make these long ass threads, I only learned about the Twitter algorithm when Elon released it, right? But I knew that there was an emphasis on like the longer somebody engages with your tweet, the better. So I was like, rather than write threads, I'm just going to do long tweets. And what I really quickly learned is long tweets performed way better than any thread I've ever made in my life. And the core thing behind that was with threads, they click into the tweet and then the Twitter algorithm is like, if they stay here for a minute and a half or longer, you know, that's good. And I actually, I do want to backstep. That's the predictive algorithm, right? So that's not even when they engage for a minute and a half. It's if, would they be likely to engage for a minute and a half, right? So when you write out a thread, if that first tweet isn't engaging, there's not even the possibility of them staying for a minute and a half, regardless of how long it is. When you write a long ass first tweet and maybe no tweet following, it's like, okay, it might not be good, but if somebody reads this entirety of this 4,000 character tweet, there's a pretty good chance that that's a minute and a half or longer. So I immediately saw that that was the way to go and it worked out well because I don't like writing tweets in the first place. There's so many issues. I get sidetracked. I don't finish. So, and then it also makes interlinking it a lot easier. When you've got 20 tweets and you're trying to, spider link them all together they get so having that one tweet also made compilation tweets like these are all my mid-journey tutorials you know full tutorial full tutorial versus 30 tweet thread 40 tweet thread so that's really how i went about it i was like how do i condense a single subject into a single tweet oh twitter blue comes in handy long tweet don't want to do threads i've always hated them and then uh just keep kind of going with the flow, seeing what more people want and if I know enough about it to provide. 
Cool. And you also came up with a couple of different like concepts. Huh? You asked like questions like one of these images is not AI generated or one of these is AI generated. How did you come up with that? What would you test? How did it go? Whenever I followed the thought leaders, I built a swipe file of their best performing stuff. So the that tweet specifically was just a copy paste of what the top three people in the in the industry were doing at the time. There wasn't any creativity there. It was all Linus Ekestam and Javi Lopez. I believe that's his last name. I might be wrong there. But it was like those two guys were, and I forget who the third was. They were a little a smaller player. But those two guys, I was like, oh, that's a really good good play. Like that's cool. And then very quickly it became kind of not cool because then literally everybody started doing it. And I was like, hmm. I don't really like doing that one because it's it's not Everybody really. Everybody moves left. I have to start moving right. Yeah, but yeah, the swipe file got me a lot of the way. Essentially, I was like, I'm gonna grab the top 20 tweets, and you know, in a general sense, just snagging viral tweets and seeing like what the similarities are, you're not gonna find it. But in the AI area, a month and a half ago, two months ago, it was very formulaic and like if you write a tweet like this and you've got somewhat of a base following it's gone and explain a tweet like this i mean it was basically just like whatever the tweet's going to be on have a hook regarding chat gpt mid journey or anything ai related in the first sentence and then just go to town my way was not writing threads but a lot of people wrote threads and it panned out for them extremely well so i mean you know it's just me that doesn't like threads they might still work fine but it might well, it probably died out a little bit what, what have you seen like uh, over the last few weeks or what did you change a lot of the swipe file stuff is completely irrelevant you could try to use it but it's done as in the viral aspect is basically gone you could see a little bit of growth outside your following but it's not much after that. Now the focus is on actual robotics, uh, actual AI robotics, mostly anything chat GPT, but more about chat GPT innovation. In the beginning of this whole scheme, it was all like these top five tools, these top 10 tools. And people just kept doing that day in, day out, multiple times a day. And that quickly ruined that for everybody. I only did one of those. And I was like, these are the ones I use. Like, don't listen to everybody else. And then AI video just is always hilarious. I have a tweet going right now. You might have seen it. Yeah, was it Bud Life? No, that was the follow-up. This one's got 32.2 million views. On your account? Yeah. Hollywood is done for. You might not believe me, but this is AI generated. People are super pissed about that one. It was so funny. Like for the first hours it was posted, the amount of hate I was getting, I was laughing because the AI videos are so funny themselves. And then just to say some outlandish thing, like it's impossible to tell this is made by AI and the hate. And like some people are like very basic, like this looks like shit. And it's like, nah, it's not that funny. But some people are really clever, like one person responded with like, if you like this, you'll really love this. And it's like a key jingling 10 hour video from YouTube. And it's like, that's hilarious. Like I'm actually laughing my ass off. When I saw that Bud Light one, I was like, what a great follow up. You know, I'll make it even more outlandish. And that one's even funnier. Like I died laughing. Pizza Hug Spot was the first one I tested out that kind of uh, that template with where I was like, it's impossible to tell this is made by AI. Really bad pizza commercial. 
And me and my best friend were laughing at that for like two hours straight. So I was like, it's only the next step is to just keep doing it for now. But all of that is just basically a funnel back into Snack Prompt because... Yeah, because you launched this like a couple of weeks ago. Tell us a little bit like of the, the backstory, how you launched it. Yeah, you, I think- yeah, so I didn't launch anything. It's not my project. I'm just the brand dev on it. There's a whole bunch of business developers and they didn't have any brand developers. And when I say business, I more so mean product. So that's why it looks so good. That's why the design is on point. That's why everything is tip top. All I do is make sure it gets seen, make sure that traction happens, make sure that they're networked in because whenever I stumbled upon them, well, Going back a little bit further, I wanted to make the platform myself. I looked for every solution I could find, no code, hella code, uh, and it was basically come down to the no code solutions were garbage. The code solutions, development solutions were quarter million plus to, to make it a reality. So this team has already put in well over that because they founded another project and that project has just been shelved while they work out some like legal side of things, I think they've got like patents pending or something. So they, they're taking a break. And while they were taking a break, they were like, let's jump on this opportunity. Like I see something here. So they started running thousands of dollars worth of ads on Twitter. And I saw one of those ads in its infancy and was like, this looks really good. So I immediately used my generic AI, like check out this tool template not because I expected anything in return, just because I was like, this is bonkers. Like if, if I was browsing my feed for, you know, leisure or to find a new tool, this is the tool that I would want to find. So that's why I shared it. And then the founder named, his name's Edder, he hit me up and was like, yo, like you're one of these smaller accounts with a tremendous amount of reach. Like, how do you do it? Do you want to come on board? And I was like, Absolutely. Like I'm sold. You don't even have to sell me. Like we, you don't have to come up with a contract. You don't have to pay me, but we did settle on that. But I was like, dude, I'm sold on the whole thing. Regardless, I'll be your front man. So they signed me on. They launched on the 12th of April. Traction was very bad. I think on the 12th, they had one user that day. And then they brought me on board. I made my tweet. And that day, I think they got like 10,000 users. We've just kept going, kept networking. Luckily, I'm pretty connected on Twitter with like various names that maybe let's back up again. Because like yeah, you did you did that one tweet, but you did a lot more. Like and then run us through like how you come up with all these things and then how did the process go? I just wing it, man. Doesn't matter, man. You still you did something. You did something right. Like you followed a couple of steps. I was part of a little bit of that. But... So here's the step. You could buy a, a sticky note a post-it thing, you buy a Sharpie and you can also use the notepad on your computer. It's called notepad, but you just, (laughs) but you just find something like a good generic tweet that works, which is not easy to do. But when you do it, you just jot it down and then you hit it up. And that's, if you're asking like, how did I like tweet? That's pretty much how I did it. I just had a sticky note and I was like, talk about one of these three things and talk about it in one of these three ways. And that's all I did. There wasn't much planning. It was just like... That was the first step. And then what did you do then? Okay. Yeah. You're asking like what my whole process was. Yeah. Uh, So essentially, 
I had three ways of launching, which was one, just continue to focus on viral tweets not related to Snack Prompt or just good tweets in general, like I had already been doing, and then just plugging Snack Prompt at the end of those. The second thing was commandeering their Twitter account and kind of getting them ready for the launch, just updating the header, updating the profile picture, chatting with the founder of like what he expected. And I was kind of just like, well, that's that's cool, but this is how Twitter works. I'm going to do it this way. And, you know, he was very understanding. He's like, clearly, you, you know how to do Twitter better than me. I also switched both the brand account and my account to the professional on Twitter. So that way you get that cute little, the box where you can have a breakdown of what the product is and have a nice, a better way of having a link in bio. I had been waiting a long time for that. Finally, Elon Musk gave me my access back. So I was like, yes. So getting both accounts ready, making sure the branding was fluid across them, making sure we weren't using the same assets. So that way, you know, it looked more high quality because if we had all used the same kind of look, then it would be like, oh, you know, copy paste. You No matter which developer or account you go to related to Snack Prompt, everybody's a little bit different. Uh, but ultimately, the goal is the same, which is I am Snack Prompt and Snack Prompt is me type deal. And then once we all had the synergy of the socials hooking up, working well together, it was about building hype. The best way to build hype, especially on Twitter, is call in all your favors, hit up everybody you know individually, not auto DM, not on the timeline, make sure it's personal. So that's just what I did. I was like, okay, who are who are all the notable people? And I mean, not even just notable, like just Hey, my buddy follows me, my cousin, right? He uses Twitter, never tweets or anything, but I was like, hey, go check this out. I'd really appreciate it if you gave me some feedback or whatnot. And the general consensus was, you know, wow, great job. You did so great. And I was like, I didn't do anything, but thank you. And just, you know, ultimately, I don't think, you know, the testimonials, which it was private feedback, but ultimately that private feedback, as long as it's not, releasing any like private information, it's a testimonial. You can piece it together as long as you're not putting words in their mouth, right? So I was just like, sure, those will be our bootstart testimonials. I wouldn't say that those necessarily did a lot in terms of engagement or like reach, but it just helped reinforce that like, okay, people check this out. Everybody from Easlo, the Notion guy to my cousin Hayden, who's got maybe like a hundred followers or something. And and that's always just the first part, I mean, of any of any brand launch or anything is always just calling in your favors and seeing what they think. The general consensus from the people I respect and I think they respect me, you know, it's hard to tell. It was just like nice project, like this could definitely go somewhere. And it's like cool, like now that I know that, time to repackage the generic pitch that the product team has put together because they're not really brand guys uh, or like outreach guys. They're more of like building gorgeous stuff. So after the testimonials, yeah, I moved into the next phase and the next phase is basically just like influencer outreach. The marketing budget, or I guess I should say the advertisement budget was nil, right? Well, it wasn't so to speak. Like we had money to spend on ads, but we were actually spending them on ads. They were like, you have the network, you have the reach, like, let's see who we can connect with. And in the AI industry, it's more about like who gets to the information first rather than getting paid to promote the information or, or share. So it was like, okay, 
you know, they had had chat GPT write up generic like Twitter DMs to send out. And I was like, whoa, these are garbage in a very polite way. I mean, they were great, you know, for maybe like a LinkedIn message. But for Twitter, I was like, okay, you know, let's let's redo it and let's lead with value. If you want to have a successful product launch and you also want to get the news out there, you have to give people something to work with. You have to give them insider information, stuff that isn't released yet. And it was basically just like, hey there, you know, you're interested in ChatGPT. This tool does, it was very much like a Amazon description, like a, a basic Amazon description. Like, this is what it is. These are the features. This is the website. What, now we want to book a call with you. And it's like, nobody's going to talk to you. Nobody cares about the features. They want to know, like, what are the benefits? What's in it for them? Exactly. What's in it for them? Typical, I would, you know, you would assume top top of mind knowledge sales. So I just repackaged it was like, hey, here's insider information nobody knows about. This is what the platform does. It essentially combines this, this, and this. And here's information that nobody knows yet. Do with it whatever you want. Uh, and I sent that. Yeah, it was a lot better worded than that, but I sent that type of idea to about 40 or 50 influencers. And I want to say like 10 of them got back to me and organically posted it. And that kind of started a wave of people starting to post about it more because the people that were most interested in it weren't the little guys. It was like the 200,000 followers. And then once they showed they were interested in it, that's when the little guys kind of start to tag along. That's typically how it goes. So as long as you can get the big guys on the hook. How did you find those 40, 50 people? Just uh, just being around the space for a couple months, just like following people here and there. Was it on TikTok or Twitter? Or? No, on Twitter. Yeah. Now, anytime we did outreach to YouTube or Instagram or anywhere else, ultimately, if they had a Twitter, I would do the outreach. That's how we got. Uh, that's how we got in touch with Jeff, who was, I wouldn't say our Instagram guy, because I don't know if they've signed any deals. Uh, but we do, same thing. I was like, yo. You're on Twitter. Nobody's talked about this yet. Here's something good. And he ended up making a couple of uh, Instagram reels. And those have had a combined reach talking about snack prompt of about 3 million. However, he he did a Instagram reel about our competitor week prior, and that did 20 million, which is one of the reasons why we wanted to reach out to him because we were like, he's already got a proven audience for it. So it's up his alley and he gets something out of it. We get something out of it. But our biggest competitor had a whole bunch of slip-ups. We can talk about those later, which made it easy for us to come in and kind of sweep the attention away. And so you reached out to those 40, 50 people, 10 reached out back, they posted organic stuff, then the little little guys followed up. And then after you got like initial traction, initial usage of the product, then that's when you decided to launch on Product Hunt or how did that go? So we hired a Product Hunter, I guess that's what they're called on Product Hunt. I'm not exactly sure the terminology there. I didn't really have much of a hand in it. We hired somebody. They had a good following. It was supposed to go really well. I would say that spending the money and the time of the Product Hunter was garbage. There's got to be good ones out there, but ours was a bad decision. Why was it garbage? Made our listing wrong. Didn't post the video with our listing. Did a really bad subtitle. Did a really bad description. Had a lot of followers, like uh, teens in the teens, almost 20,000. And we saw nothing from the following. I don't know if they're supposed to see when that person posts. Yeah, they get an email like this person launched this product or hunted this product. Oh. Exactly. So we looked at another guy who was launching products and they were getting hundreds of upvotes easily. 
And I would say our product hunt launch was 70 to 80% me and then 20%. And when I say me, I don't mean me. I, obviously, everybody else played a role in voting and stuff. But like, I was doing tons of outreach and getting the team to like basically reach out to friends and family because I was like, bro, there is no traction from product hunt. Like, we're going to get left behind. And ultimately, we probably would have finished second place, but three or four other people were botting their upvotes. So, you know, we were steadily going up throughout the day. And then at the end of the day, just, oh, 200 upvotes, 300 upvotes, 400 upvotes. And then we weren't top five anymore. And we we got offered a couple of times to like fake upvote. And the founder was just like, I don't I don't really see. And I was I was like. Ultimately, I, I don't have any issue on the moral grounds of it. It seems like everybody's doing it. But at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to result in that much traffic from paying somebody. Or So I was like, it's not worth it. Like, you just give me the $200 and I'll, you know, I'll go buy myself dinner or whatever. So yeah, we came in sixth for the day. I guess it went well. We're seeing more traction from Future Tools, I believe, futuretools.io, than Product Hunt as a whole. So I guess it... uh. It's more hype than it is actual. What's Future Tools that I own? Uh, Future Tools, let me make sure it is .io real quick. Future Tools is product hunt, but for AI tools. So it's not, the, it's not the best looking. There's another one called Futurepedia, which is exactly the same thing. CeeLo Olive Oils, one of the guys in charge of that, I, I forget his name at the moment. He's the one that recommended it to me because he made a AI tool. And he was like, yo, go check out this website. It's sending me a decent amount of traffic. So I was like, absolutely. His name is Martin. Martin Ehrlich. He made a, a recipe AI tool, submitted it there. And he's like, bro, I saw a lot of traction. It sent my tool kind of like to a viral status. Go submit there. So that's why we did that. And it's been much better than Product Hunt. But yeah, that was a that was a really bad launch. I didn't enjoy it. It was very hectic for a day. And then it was like, what was the real reward of it? Not much. I could have just made a tweet and played video games or something. <laughs> and what happened between the launch and now? Because like the, the tool has gotten some great traction, huh? Yeah. So mostly just uh, staying consistent with the tweeting. There's still tweets addressing prompting for chat GPT and mid journey are still very in demand. You just have to make sure you present it in a good way. And luckily snack prompt is like, not only are we going to pre present this long ass prompt that you might find value, but also you can click this link and use it instantly. Right. So it's like, it's a double whammy. Cause it's like, it's a viral tweet, but it's also not a copy paste. You can just click to the website, you know, integrate it directly into chat GPT and never have to do this again. You know, also, once you download that plugin, anytime you go visit ChatGPT, it's always there. It's not necessarily intrusive because once you start talking to ChatGPT, it vanishes. But it does like if you want to see what's happening for the day, you know, you're essentially anytime you visit Snack Prompt, you know, that's obviously a Snack Prompt in it. Anytime you visit ChatGPT, you're also visiting Snack Prompt. So it's a double whammy on that front. And the user base has really exploded mostly just because the tool is extremely valuable. A lot of big, big guys use it regularly and engage with it regularly. The uh, the Twitter account, that is. And how, how did they share it then? Uh, just retweets or talking about it. You know, I wouldn't say it's anything directly promotional or like long-winded threads, but they'll be like, oh, you know, it'll cross their feed. One of the guys' name is Robert. He's got like a half million followers. Elon Musk is constantly talking to Robert. Like, I, I think he's replied to him like three times in the last week. So Robert is well-connected in the AI industry. 
he'll retweet snack prom stuff, which sends a lot of traction that basically makes or breaks. If a tweet's going to go viral, it's like if he retweets it automatically, but, uh, yeah, that's been instrumental, mostly just staying with the daily consistency, you know, the normal stuff, but keeping the same strategy, trying to stay away from threads, doing long, valuable tweets, making sure the visuals are on point, tweeting like three to five times a day, nothing more than that, but making sure those tweets are super powerful. The, the old school 2019, 2018 money Twitter, like one line, two line has really lost its impact. So it's all about value stuffing and then being like, oh, and if you want to go check out the website, you know? Cool. And, and so if you're a content creator right now and, you know, you might not have, you know, a lot of experience with all that, this AI stuff, where would you tell people to start and, and what kind of angle would you take on content creation in the AI niche? Well, I would definitely just start following the right people on Twitter. And you could do that, I guess, by following like the last hundred people I followed. That'll get you pretty pretty in bed with AI people. And then once you do that, just like seeing what they're talking about regularly, kind of trying to find the outliers and the stuff that's not a one-off because there is a lot of one-offs, like top GPT hit the feed like last week, got a hundred thousand visits in a day. And it's like, but is there really a use case on that in a week? Who knows? Maybe. So just kind of finding finding the stuff that's going to be around for a while and essentially becoming an expert on it. As with anything, if you want to stand out, you got to become the expert. And then just with how things, with the landscape, everything, do not focus on viral growth anywhere other than Twitter and just focus on providing tutorials or, or values inside of tutorials and target SEO everywhere else. Because I will say YouTube virality is very short-lived. You do not stay at the top. Twitter is much more manageable because it's, it's very cookie cutter. Instagram, I believe is okay, but you, you got to work for months to get to a sustainable rate. So it's like ultimately just focus on daily input, looking at what the thought leaders are talking about, and then just get to the documentation and break everything down before somebody else does. Whether you do it on Twitter or YouTube or Instagram, wherever, just do it before anybody else does and do it in the best way. Make sure you're using quality graphics. They could be from a stock website like FreePick. That's where I get most of mine from. Just go a little bit further than everybody else and just make sure your presentation's on point. And then, yeah, you're off to the races specifically like where would i go i would just if you're starting in content go mid journey or go chat gpt and then see where that takes you don't go anywhere else because nothing else has really been proven i guess you could kind of talk about snack prompt but it's still so much an infancy where it's not even 30 days old so it's like who knows what could potentially happen with that obviously i have a positive outlook but yeah mid journey and chat gpt are going places. Auto GPT is a fad. Whatever Auto GPT turns into is probably not. But Auto GPT needs a little bit more. Uh, little more. Are you the one that did the breakdown of like how it's basically has no idea what it's talking about? Did you do that? Yeah, I did a little bit of that. Yeah. Yeah. After like I don't know, not ten prompts, but after like six prompts or so, it was just you know it was going going in circles. You got all your agents, and it's like, yeah, and you're all your agents are idiots. So, yeah, true, true. Needs a bit more brain power. Chase, thanks, man, for this conversation. This was great. Where can people find you? What are, What are you up to? 
You can find me everywhere by just typing in Chase Curtis, but I'm mostly on Twitter or on the Snack Prompt account, hidden away. So follow me on Twitter. Cool. Thanks, man. Thank you. That's a wrap. But before we end this episode, I want to make a gentleman's agreement with you. I keep sharing these amazing podcasts with you. And the only thing you need to do in return is to go to YouTube, search for Hype Fury and subscribe to our channel and go do it right now. And I'll see you again next week.